you know, this good father we've just been singing about just feels so good to reflect on who we are because of that love. And what we're going to discover today is that love he has for us is otherworldly. It is unlike the love you and I have for each other. It is so much more palatable. It is so much more radical. It's a give-up-your-life kind of love that he has for us. It's amazing every once in a while you come across real, genuine, something beautiful, sacrificial-type love. A couple weeks ago, I was down in Cancun with our video team, with a group of guys who were serving... And here's a group of folks who are giving up their vacations, giving up time with their wives, giving up time with their families, and not just to have a good time with their friends, but to also give up the comfort of a vacation lugging concrete the whole time. In the middle of all the construction there with with back-to-back, we're interviewing some guys, hearing their stories, and they said, you want to take a walk and meet one of the families? We walked down the road came into the home of one of the single moms there and a couple of the guys that were with us. And while we were there, one of the guys that was just to my left was getting emotional talking to the single mom. He said, you know what? Thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve you. There's a picture that he has of their family. He keeps on the refrigerator at home. He said, we have a picture of you at home and we pray for you every day. And through a translator, they shared just joys and moments. And here was somebody thanking somebody for the chance to give up vacations, to give up comforts, to give up time every day to pray because of what God was doing in them through sacrificial love. When Jesus set the culture for his startup, he said, I want my people, my movement to be known for supernatural love for God Supernatural love for others, supernatural love for themselves. And then he ups the stakes again and says, and supernatural love for your enemies. My problem is, even in my best day, my best efforts at love are tainted with self-centeredness. My wife's been struggling with uh, sciatica, so four months now, just pain shooting down her leg. And it's just a very frustrating circumstance for her. It's frustrating uh, for both of us as we're trying to figure out how to support uh, Quinn with all the needs he has. And she can barely move at times and laying on the floor a third of the time trying to get rid of some of the pain. And so I'm doing some research to find new ways to help her and and to help out. And so one day I say, hey, I read this thing's supposed to help. And so she's laying on the ground. I'm sort of pushing along the the nerve and get to the end. And, you know, supposedly if you do this right, it's magically healed. And, hey, did that work? Eh, It feels a little better maybe, but not not really. And, of course, being in pain for that long, she's like, man, I'll just try something else. And I felt unappreciated. And I'm like, well, at least I'm trying. At least I'm trying to fix this thing. You know, at least you can appreciate the effort I'm trying to put into this. You know, never mind. So I walk off because I'm a shallow person. I know you've never done this. And so I'm up in my room and, and just getting ready uh, for the morning. And, and I remembered like two years ago, maybe five years ago now, a conversation from my mom popped in my head. I'll take this from the Holy Spirit. And my mom would say, hey, your dad, you know, he, he loves me. He's got a kind heart. He's a hard worker. He's just not really good at helping me when I'm sick because I'll I'll need him to comfort me and he wants to fix the situation and some of the issues I'm struggling with can't be fixed. 
And so your dad will try and help, and then I won't respond the way he wants, and he'll kind of huff off, and then I'm trying to console him for him not consoling me. And as I'm sitting upstairs, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm becoming the very thing I quietly criticized. And in my effort of trying to love my wife and comfort my wife, it became all about me. And what we're going to find is that give me love, give me my credit, give me my appreciation, give me my comfort, give me my due kind of love is natural. It's natural. And it's not all bad. We certainly do need appreciation. We do need respect. But this self-centered, it's about me, love, is very natural. Give me love is natural. But give up love is supernatural. Give up my need to be appreciated when you're going through a tough time. Give up my comfort. Give up my money. Give up my need for credit. And Jesus comes to a group of people who are in the midst of a very difficult time in history with the Romans' real enemies in control of their life and says, But I say to you who have ears to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Like, I don't want to pray for the people who use me. The people who spitefully use you. And we're going to find this kind of love is impossible to conjure up, to willpower your way into. You're going to have to tap into supernatural love to do any of this. Because I'm not even that great at loving the people I like. (laughs) Let alone loving the people I hate. So Jesus is going to give us three give-ups to teach us how to tap into a better source of love with a lot better benefits. The first give-up is are we willing to give up our rights? Because the world is, is filled with people who won't give up their rights. I have a right to be offended. I have a right to revenge. I have a, a right to, it's my turn because I went first last time or I let you go first last time. I apologize first last time. It's your turn. We've all got a story as to why we have the right. And many of our stories are legitimate. We do have the right to that thing, to that story, to that circumstance. But Jesus says, I want my people to be characterized by giving up the rights to the things they even deserve. And it's going to win people over. It's going to win people over and it's going to stand as attractive and distinct in a world that's all about give me my rights kind of love. And here's what he says, and it is hard to swallow. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. Now it's your cheek. You have a right to defend yourself, but offer him the also. One who takes away your cloak, it's your cloak. You have the right to it. Give him and do not withhold your tunic as well. It's your tunic. He he establishes the property rights. Give to anyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods. They're your goods. You have a right to them. Do not ask for them back. Let's try and figure out how to untangle this. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying before we figure out what he is saying. Jesus is a... Expert Jewish rabbi who did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. 
And the Bible in Deuteronomy clearly would say that you have a right to defend yourself. And the reason you have the right to defend yourself is because you're made in God's image. And so in Deuteronomical law, it says that if someone tries to attack you or kill you, you have the right to defend yourself. And, and Jesus would have affirmed that. Jesus would affirm that when someone does something wrong or evil, that they should face the consequences, be put in prison. God set up governments to bring about judicial punishment, especially for killing and especially for, for assault. The Bible would affirm that, and Jesus would as well. So what's he saying here? You see, the Old Testament forbids unjust killing, but it doesn't always forbid just killing. What's the difference? Unjust killing is when you kill someone without cause, but when you defend yourself against somebody trying to kill you, you have a just cause to defend yourself. That's what we call self-defense in our law today. The Bible would also say that if you're a police officer, for example, who is you know, shooting a, a killer, like we had in, in Florida this year, this week, and if that person is trying to kill the innocent, it is just to try and actually kill somebody who's trying to kill somebody unjustly. And Jesus would have affirmed that. So what's he saying here? That's got to be compatible with all that, and yet calling us to a higher level of love. And the Romans, Jesus is talking to a specific group of people living in a time when they are powerless. You don't stand up against the Romans. Anyone who stands up against the Romans, go look at the roads to Jerusalem. they got hundreds of people crucified if you try and stand up against the Romans. And Jesus comes to a group of people who've had the Romans, their real enemies, kill their family, kill their children, kill their nephews recently. And says, I want you to love your enemies. Right. It would be like Jesus standing here today and say, as you meditate on the tragedy in Florida, don't forget to love the shooter. You can still want him brought to justice. You can still want consequences, but don't forget to love your enemy. So what is Jesus saying? Well, the phrase here used in, in the culture to strike someone on the cheek was an insult, actually. This wasn't battery. Jesus would have affirmed you could have defended yourself. But what he's saying is that when someone slaps you on one cheek, because the Romans were in charge, and the Romans wanted to make sure you knew your place in the societal pecking order. So a Roman guard in particular would come across, but also in the Middle East, someone would want to put you in their place. They'd slap you on the cheek with the back of their hand to say, let's, rem- let's remember who's the Hebrew and who's the Roman here. And Jesus says, you'd have the right to get insulted. You'd have the right to get mad. You'd have the right to save face. But I want you instead to turn the other cheek. Don't need to be right. Don't need to save face. Don't need to get all your rights of being offended there. And there's a particular Roman law that Jesus is really cleverly using because he's trying to help powerless people in a powerless situation to be empowered. Very difficult. The Roman law allowed you to slap somebody with the back of your hand but not your open hand, like a punch. And so Jesus was saying, go ahead when somebody slaps you to put you in your place, go ahead and turn them the other cheek. To one, let them know they haven't dehumanized you. They haven't put you in your place. You still have dignity. It's not dependent upon what they did. And secondly, they're going to be in an awkward position. They're allowed to slap you with the back of their hand, but when you turn the other, they're not allowed to hit you with their other one. No, never mind. I'm not going to hit you again. In the same way that the Roman law allowed a Roman to require somebody to carry their luggage a mile, but it didn't allow them to ask for two miles. 
So Jesus takes disempowered people and shows them how to be empowered by saying, when somebody asks you to go a mile, turn to that Roman soldier and say, could I please go the extra mile with your luggage? And this Roman who's trying to put you in his place, can be, uh, actually, no, I'm not allowed to ask for two miles. Uh, one will be fine, thank you. Very clever. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be able to win people over, people that you have no power over, by loving them in a way they've never seen before. And that's exactly what happens in history. The Emperor Julian says that these Galileans who overtook the Roman Empire not only care for their own poor, who people who believe the way they do, who've come to the same conclusions they do, but Julian says they even care for our poor. They provide for and love on and give financially to their enemies, the Romans, and that's why so many people are coming into this new movement. They've never seen family like this. They've never seen community like this. They've never seen love like this. And I'm not even good at loving the people I like, let alone doing this, giving up my rights for revenge, my rights to justice. Again, Jesus is not talking about governmental ethics. He would have supported giving people over to a just trial, but personal ethics, giving over your right to revenge. I read an interview with Kim Fook. If you don't recognize her, she's the little girl from the famous Vietnam photo of Napalm Girl. It's been 40-something years later. She tells her story. She said she was far off from the Vietnam War, coming out of temple that day. When she came out of temple, she heard a plane. And the plane dropped a bomb, but it didn't sound like any bomb she'd ever heard or heard of. When it went off, she said she suddenly looked down and her hand was on fire. And she tried to wipe the fire off. But because it was sticky napalm, she just spread it around. Napalm burns at 5,000 degrees. She said she was running out of temple. She saw that her feet were not on fire. And she thanked God. God, thank you that my feet still work as she began to run. Her body was so badly burned that they took her, still alive, and placed her in the morgue. She awakens from the morgue, still alive. And they realize she's alive and they bandage her. And she said, I thanked God that I was raised from the dead, <laughs> that he saved my life. And as she began to wrestle with how to feel about how to treat her enemies, she said, at age 19, I came across the teaching of Jesus. And I came across this specific passage in Luke chapter 6, she mentions. How could I have compassion and love or pray for people who did this to me? She said, it was impossible. She said, then I began to learn about Jesus who died on the cross, not forgiving his enemies, the Romans, but forgiving his enemies, me. And when I realized he forgave me as an enemy of God, I began to try praying for my enemies. She said, and I'm so thankful 
for my Christianity in Jesus. I have gotten such peace, such joy, such freedom. She said, as I have begun and continue to pray for my enemies, every time I pray, my heart gets softer. Now, does that mean, judicially, that the people who dropped napalm on these innocent kids shouldn't be held to justice? Of course not. Of course Jesus would affirm that. The Bible would affirm that. But if you want to be free and have peace, and if you want to have a way to win people over, a tool in your toolbox that is stronger than any other, Jesus says, learn to. And don't, you can't just sort of believe it and go, it's interesting. You've got to do it. You've got to start praying for the people you're irritated by. Pray for blessings on the people who stabbed you in the back. You've got to do this. And when you do, you're going to tap into the love of God in a way you never have before. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be liberating. It's going to be supernatural love. Give up my rights kind of love. The second aspect of this love, I think, is even harder for me, and that's give up credit. Give up the need for credit. It's going to grab people's attention. We live in a world that's all about the credit. And you've been on teams, right? You've been in a workplace where somebody had an idea and like part of the idea, like one small little part of the idea was theirs. But when the idea finally comes to be presented, they tell everybody that it was their idea. They need all the credit. And they think grabbing the credit, telling the story makes them bigger. But the more you hear them talk, the more you realize it makes them really small. How insecure must they be that they need all the credit? Versus haven't you worked for somebody who you knew the idea was mostly theirs? And they love spreading the credit around. They love telling other people. And he said, man, that that kind of humility is attractive. Jesus says, do you love people who love you? Yes, I actually I do, Jesus. That works kind of well for me. What credit is that to you? Even the sinners do that. You're not going to get credit for loving people who love you. Do you do good to those who do good to you? Yeah, I do, actually. What credit is that? Everybody does that. Do you lend to those who are going to get you something in return? Yeah. And Jesus isn't saying any of those things are bad. He says, what credit is that? That's not supernatural love. That's give me love. Give me and I'll give you. Be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Give me something in return, I'll do something nice to you. But I tell you to love your enemies even when you don't get credit. Because I tell you, your enemies aren't going to give you any credit. Thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt there. No, they're still going to question your motives. They're still going to doubt you. They're still going to accuse you of things. And when you don't get any credit from them, when you're loving your enemies, I want you, Jesus says, to hope for nothing in return. Like, I want the credit, let alone I I need to want nothing? Worse than that, you want me to hope for nothing? I'm not sure what kind of mental gymnastics I'm going to have to play in my head to get to that place, Jesus. But Jesus is going to tell you exactly how to do it. Very concrete, emotive, 
and intellectual and thought through reasons how you can do this. What are those reasons? I'll give you a couple of them. How you can get to the place that you can hope for no credit is when you realize you'd rather have a lot of credit later with Jesus than a little credit now. Hope for nothing in return. That way your reward, your credit will be great with God. You can get a little pat on the back now and that's good. We need encouragement. But even better to get the ultimate pat on the back and the reward and service for heaven with a kind of treasure that does not rot and and rust cannot touch or destroy. That's how you do this. You say, God, I could get a little now and it's going to be meaningful, but I'd rather have a lot later than a little now. That's why I'm hoping for nothing now. And when you do that, you're going to become a different type of lover. You're going to realize how much God loves you and the type of love he loves you with. And you're going to become like a son of God, the spitting image of your dad, the spitting image of your heavenly father. You're going to start loving the way he loves with a give up my need for credit kind of love, give up my need for appreciation kind of love, give up my need for respect kind of love, give up I get all the accolades for what I'm doing kind of love. You're actually going to become more like your heavenly father, sons of the most high God. You're beginning to learn to love like he does. And you're going to experience a little bit about your heavenly father because he is kind. Who's he kind to? He's kind to the unthankful. About eight years ago, when we first adopted Quinn, and the chaos of autism and all the other challenges got unleashed in us, my wife and I were both reeling from all the challenges and spinning and all the challenges and difficulties. And so she was sort of heading into depression. I was pretty quickly following after her, trying to figure out how to cope with it all. And I remember in the midst of that, you know, she didn't have the capacity to even sort of encourage herself or have enough energy for herself with all the chaos, let alone to have stuff to get back to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm spinning all these plates and, you know, I could use some appreciation here and my, my engine sort of runs on encouragement. But about four to six times a year, it's been a practice I've done for the last 25 years, about four to six times a year I get out my journal and I write these words. What am I currently doing to sabotage my own marriage? I've developed quite a list over the last 25 years. (laughs) But eight years ago, that specific one God told me was, your need for encouragement, which isn't bad is sabotaging and making the situation worse. And he drove me to this passage, which I memorized. I want you to right now during this season, hope for nothing in return. And I will reward you for serving and loving your wife and family well. And it was the hard work that Beth and I did during this time that allowed us eight years later to be the best place in our marriage where we both do have the capacity to encourage each other because during that time, God helped me not do even a good thing that was going to sabotage a great thing by looking for my credit from heaven. Hoping for nothing in return. I read an article 
a Bon Jovi who's become a poster boy for a long-married rock star because there's so few of them. He says, I'll accept it because it makes me so, because I'm so happy. But why is he happy? Notice how he immediately gives credit to his wife. She's the glue. I'm the crazy visionary with all kinds of things flying and seams are all splitting. She's the one following me with the glue and the thread and the needle, keeping it all together. My wife does all the work, but I get all the credit. And yet here when he's interviewed, he gives her all the credit. Somehow it works, she says. I think we grow at the same rate. We grew equally and not in the opposite directions. And so even folks who aren't followers of Christ, you can see this principle works whether you believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible or not. Sacrificial, other-centered, not credit-seeking love stands out and grabs people's attention in the world today. And maybe what your family needs, maybe what your company needs, maybe what your heart needs is a little less give-me love that's natural and a little bit more tapping into supernatural love. Because in the Trinity, we see the only God who prior to making anybody could love. Allah can't love before he made anybody. Who's he going to love? Only in the Trinity do you see a God who can love in his own essence. The Father could love the Son. The Son could love the Holy Spirit. They default to one another. They celebrate one another. They submit to one another. They, they humble one another. They, 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 they can't wait to put other people's needs ahead of their own. Here in the Trinity, we see the essence of the universe that you and I were made for is selfless, give up my rights, give up my priorities kind of love. Which is why Jesus reiterates this idea that you need to give up hoping for short-term reward because it can bring much bigger benefits. Let me just show you those passages I alluded to earlier. You will be sons. You'll be the spitting image of the Most High God because you begin to love the way He does. You will have true rewards. Jesus says 30, 40, 60, 100 time kind of results if you look for credit from Him and how you give and how you love and how you sacrifice. And you're going to understand the God on the cross who is kind when you are unthankful. See, what happened in that moment eight years ago is I thought, I can't believe she's so unthankful for what I'm doing. Did I have a point? A little bit. If you've ever been through depression, is it hard to give when you don't have anything to give to yourself? Yeah. But the self-righteousness was, I can't believe she's being so unthankful. I would never do that. Oh, really? And that's where self-righteousness comes from, by the way. You would never do that. And let me ask you this about our Heavenly Father. Did you today when you got up thank your Heavenly Father for your life? Did you thank Him for the breath in your lungs today? This week? Have you done that this year? This decade? Have you thanked your Heavenly Father that you were born in the freest time in history? In the freest nation in history? You didn't earn that. How about your talents and your skills, your opportunities? When's the last time you thank God for those? How about your salvation? How about your house? How about your car? How about your electricity? How about your running water? Oh my goodness. We're incredibly unthankful people. And in Romans chapter 1, God puts in the top list of the worst things is that pride is the hub of all wrongdoing and one of the greatest expressions of that is unthankfulness. That's like in the top list? Yeah. Yeah. You know how God feels towards you this week, this month, this year, this decade about your and my unthankful attitudes? He's kind. 
So even if you did see clearly what your spouse or your son or your daughter is doing, which you don't, but even if you saw clearly that they were being unkind or unthankful, you know what God calls you to do when you see unthankfulness? Be kind to it. Doesn't mean you can't set boundaries. Doesn't mean you get into in, in codependent relationships. But it doesn't mean you're kind. And if you're going to really help the impoverished, if you're going to really help the poor, if you're really going to help people who are hurting, really going to help people who are enemies, I'm telling you, they're not going to say thanks. Now, there's a certain level of people that you're going to go and help and you're going to get some accolades. Wow, that's so great you're here. But when you really do long-term care, long-term caring, long-term helping of people who are really in broken places, you're going to come face-to-face with entitlement and your heart's going to get hard. And you're going to say, I have to put up with this. How dare they? And Jesus says, when you get into situations you're trying to love your enemies, people who feel entitled and people who aren't thankful, your, your heart's going to get hard if you don't allow my supernatural love to what I've done for you to wash over you. You see, give me love. Give me love is natural, but give up love is supernatural. And so what I'm not challenging you today is to go work harder at this, because that won't work. You need to actually look at the cross and see what he did for you, how kind he was to you when you were unthankful, how merciful he was to you when you were, and I was, evil, an enemy of God. Because as much as all of us want to see the consequences and justice brought to that shooter this week, as a Christian, you're deeply humbled to say what's in that shooter is in me. Maybe I haven't watered it as much. Maybe I haven't let it grow as long. But what's in Hitler and what's in a shooter is in me. So God, thank you for forgiving me. Humble me. Humble me. And then exalt me in Christ that I am fully forgiven of shame, covered of guilt. And it's out of that experience you can begin to love your enemies because you realize you were an enemy that was loved. So how about you? Where do you and I need to give up our rights today? My right for revenge. My right to be right in an argument. My right to get every bit of appreciation or respect I deserve. Every bit of comfort that you should give me if you're really sensitive and really cared. My right to always have to apologize first. You've you got to go first. Where in your relationships might you need to give up your rights? And that could be the very thing that's sabotaging your relationship is your demanding of your rights. How about your need for credit? Are you getting all your credit now on earth and missing out on the credit in heaven? What might God want to do in you if you gave up your right for comfort and said, I want to go on a, on a, a trip like to Cancun. I want to give up some vacation time to serve somebody. I want to go down and build some homes for Habitat to Humanity. Not just because I'm going to feel good about myself, but because I want the credit in heaven that I thought of the least of these. And I want to build real friendships with people who speak differently than me or, or, or came from different socioeconomic circumstances than me. What if I begin to look at my need for credit and say, I'm not going to talk myself out of my need for credit, but actually I'd rather have a lot then than a little now. And that's why Jesus is not sort of trying to twist your arm to give. He's offering you the greatest deal in history. 
You can get a little now. That's fine. But there's so much a lot later. Give up hoping for the short-term reward when there's such a greater reward at stake. And there is nothing that's going to make this happen more than doing it. I mean, you can't just see the sermon and go, "Mm, good sermon, that's interesting, I'm going to think about that. This only works if you work it. Only when you pray for your enemies will you learn to give up credit and give up rights and have God soften your heart. Only by giving financially significant percentages of your income are you going to discover the heart of God who gave to you significant, the most precious commodity in the universe, Jesus Christ. His blood, he gave to you, acted on that when you were yet a sinner. You've got to do it. And so I don't know what that looks like for you this year, this week. Writing a letter, writing a journal, praying for your enemies. Maybe it's serving somebody else, going on a Cancun trip. we got a team that just got back from Belize as well, giving up a vacation to go and help doctors and, and serve the, 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 the neediest around us the world, to serve here, near, and far, far. Maybe for you, it's saying, hey, I've been coming to church, and I go to one, maybe even two services, but I've never really served in a significant way. God, I want to give sacrificially to care for people, to provide for, where can I be in? Maybe it's financially, as you've thought about me mentioning a few times we're trying to raise some money, and you're like, well, I'm sure somebody else will write that check. That's fine. Or like what often happens, I don't think I'll leave church for five weeks. I'll come back here after this. I'm done with this. I'm telling you, don't miss the opportunity. Whether you end up making a pledge or not, whether that pledge is three years or two years or one year, whether it's a three-figure gift or a five-figure gift, don't miss the opportunities God's challenging you to give, to sacrifice, to love To say, God, I want to be part of what you're doing. Because when you're part of what God's doing, God's way, you discover how he feels toward you. And you actually deepen your understanding of his generosity toward you. That's what God wants our community to be. A culture of love. A culture of radical generosity. A culture of sacrifice. A culture that says, I want his priorities to be my priorities. And when you do that, you're going to tap into a love that's a lot more than just I tried harder this week and it worked a little better. You're going to tap into the kind of love that allowed spikes to be pounded in wrists with a twisted body. And on that cross, he didn't just look at Romans. He didn't just look at Sanhedrin. He looked at you and I in the face and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I want to be kind to these people who pounded spikes into my wrist. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness and thank you for your love and thank you for your work. Father, challenge us to be people who risk, face our fear, serve, love, bless And pray for those of us who have a story of somebody who spitefully used us. It is so true. God, help us to love them. Soften our hearts toward them as we understand who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today.